0: It was the late 1970s on Andrew Road, which was located in West Bromwich, England. The day was starting to come to a close. Just about everyone in this West Bromwich neighborhood had just sat down to eat dinner, except for one father and son, George and Philip Burkett. They were outside working on their car together, something they did quite often. However, this would be the last night that they would spend together. Because this was the night their neighbor, Barry Williams, began his killing spree, which would turn into the night of horrors. This is the story of the killer neighbor. Welcome to Origin Mysteries. It was the one thing they loved doing the most together. Philip and his dad, George Burkett, didn't have a lot in common so it was hard for them to connect most of the time. I could see this leading to arguments and fussing, but there was this one thing, working on cars. It was their thing they loved to do together. Every chance they got, they would go outside and tackle some new project on Philip's car. Changing the oil, or putting in a new radiator, whatever it was, it didn't matter, because it was the one thing they both loved doing together. It was a Triumph Spitfire, and they had been working on it for a few years now. The car reminded me of a small Porsche convertible, and it looked like a lot of fun to drive. I could imagine their routine. Philip would come home from a hard day and wait till his dad got home from work. His father would kiss his wife Iris and say hello to both of them, then sit down to eat. What came next was always the best part of the day, working on that car. It was the time where Philip would bounce ideas off his father, and the time where his father could teach him how to take care of his car, or tell him how his day was. For me, it was watching movies or TV shows with my dad. We really connected on a different level while watching different things. After whatever we were watching was over, we would always talk about it. Talking about what we liked or didn't like, and what we would have changed to make it better. I know to some people this may seem odd, going to a dark, quiet movie theater or watching an hour-long show to connect with your father, but it was what we enjoyed doing and still do. It connects us in a really cool way, which is kind of hard to explain, so I can imagine how it felt for Philip and his father to work on his car together. There's nothing like bonding with a parent or a family member. They lived in a relatively nice neighborhood in a nice town home on Andrew Road in West Bromwich. The major disadvantage of living in a town home is how close you are to your neighbor, and with this home, they were about as close as you could get. And with that comes noise. If you have a loud neighbor, you will hear everything they do, and I mean everything. But the Burkets didn't have a noisy neighbor. They were the noisy neighbor. At least. According to Barry Williams, they were. The Burkettes and Barry never really got along. He was a single 34-year-old living with his parents still, and was one of those people that just hated the world in general. You know the kind I'm talking about. But when it came to the noise, that really set him off. There were countless complaints to the Burkettes about keeping the noise down, which began to become a daily thing. The Briquettes kind of just shook it off each time and went about the rest of their day. But with Barry, it was a totally different thing. He started to believe that the Briquettes' family was out to make his life miserable. And with every new noise came a new attack. Philip also had a 17-year-old sister who would love playing her record player as loud as it could go. Barry considered this another attack. Philip and his father working on his car the loud banging of their tools, and slamming of doors, just another attack. They knew Barry didn't like the noise. No, they knew he hated the noise. So why? Why would they keep doing it, if not out of spite or hatred towards Barry? This continued for a while, and Barry would just keep bottling up each attack every time. Until one night. On this night, Barry came home from drinking. Philip and his father were outside working on their car. I can imagine Barry shouting out another warning only for them to just ignore him and keep working. Well, this time, Barry would make them pay. This would be the last time there would be a noise on 16 Andrew Road. Barry walked into his house, grabbed his 9 millimeter gun, loaded it, and stepped outside and shot Philip and his father George, point-blank. George died instantly, but somehow Philip survived and was able to run into his house. But in a fit of rage, Barry followed. It was there that he shot Philip again, this time killing him. Unfortunately, his mother and sister were there as well and Barry tried to kill them both, but was only able to kill Iris, Phil's mother. His sister survived. This would only be the start of his killing spree. Once he attacked the Burkett family, he got into his car and drove off for about an hour until he came upon Michael and Liza's gas station. That is where he took his next and thankfully the last two victims. For no reason, he decided it would be their last night on Earth, and he shot them both. That night, he slept in the woods, plotting what next to do or where to go. The next morning, he was finally spotted by police, and after a 30-mile police chase, he ran into another car, and then tried to hijack a police car. But was overpowered by police officers ending his killing spree. In the end, he killed five people and shot at multiple others while driving, including shooting into random houses and buildings. Barry was known as the cowboy at most of the local firing ranges and even had a proper certificate to hold certain weapons. But there was this one instance that he was expelled from a shooting range for using dummies with wigs on them for target practice. If that wasn't a red flag, I don't know what is. Once in custody, he told the police that he was hoping that when he was caught, that they would have shot him. After searching his house in the car, the police found over 147 rounds of 9mm ammo and 770 rounds of 22 ammo. And they also found a few homemade bombs. During his hearing, further evidence of his insanity came when the court was told of the kind of threats he would give the Burkettes. His last threat, and I quote, was that he would exterminate them. Here's where things start to take an odd turn for me. He was charged with five counts of murder and two counts of attempted murder. But because the psychiatrist gave evidence of him having active paranoid psychosis, he wasn't sent to death row or life in prison. He was sent to Oshworth Hospital instead. Now, if I lost you on the paranoid psychosis part, well, he supposedly couldn't determine what was real and what wasn't. Other symptoms include false beliefs and seeing or hearing things that others don't. Now. I say supposedly because of what happens next. Fifteen years later, Barry Williams, the man who killed five people, walked out of Osworth Hospital a free man. How? Why did this happen you ask? A large board of people from the hospital decided that the man was cured and no longer a threat to anyone else. I really don't understand how you can let someone like that walk the streets again. But it gets even weirder. They let him change his name to Harry Street. So now, he was no longer Barry Williams, the man who killed five people because of a mental issue. Now, he was Harry Street, the friendly guy from down the road with no past. I really don't have words for how someone like that has the ability to not only be released, but to be able to change his name and to start a new life. It just amazes me. But, it gets better. He would soon marry and have a family. I guess no one thought about how the Perquets would still be a family if not for Harry. I mean, Barry. But I guess that's the real point, isn't it? With his new identity, it was just like his past was washed away. But as the old saying goes, old habits die hard. Because he would soon be caught in another neighborhood dispute. And you guessed it, because of the noise they were making. This started in 2007 and lasted until 2013 when he was finally arrested again. This time, he started off small by calling the police on his new neighbors a large number of times. This continued for years until 2010 when during his neighbor's garden party, he was seen with some type of weapon yelling for them to stop the noise and that they didn't know who he was. Now that is putting it lightly for sure. Finally, the neighbors had had enough of the constant threats and bickering and moved away. But just as they had thought, had seen the last of Harry, he showed up on their doorstep. There, he snarled like a dog and warned them, and I quote, I have found you. I know where you live. You did not know I could find you. Tell your friend who has moved in to stop banging on the walls. As you can imagine, this scared the crap out of them. So they called the police, That's when they started to add everything up, and one local police officer did a deep dive and figured out that Harry wasn't his real name, and that it was Barry Williams, the infamous neighborhood killer. The police then went back to Barry's house, arrested him, and found something very familiar. Guns and another homemade bomb. His neighbor was later interviewed, saying, We lived next door to him for six years, yet no one knew anything about his past. We were really very, very lucky, as I know that something was about to happen before his arrest. I just want the review to get to the truth, so that nothing like this can ever happen again. They did, and once again, Barry was put back in, Osport's hospital where he would spend his final days. Only four years later, he would die of a heart attack. I like to believe that after what he did, that that loophole of being able to change your name after being convicted of such a heinous crime isn't allowed anymore. But I'm really not sure if it is or isn't. That just goes to show you that some people are capable of anything Our next story is by SE Schlosser and it's an awesome ghost story that I just had to share with you guys This is the story of the Army of the Dead Liza lay awake late into the night, her mind racing as she reviewed all the new sights, sounds, and smells she'd experienced that day in Charleston, where she and her husband had just set up house. The city was overwhelming compared to the small town where she and Johnny had been living up until now. Johnny had grown up in Charleston and was thrilled to be back. More than once he had pulled her away from the unpacking to show her a familiar place. He was nearly dancing with glee. Liza smiled, remembering his face. She glanced over at him, sleeping peacefully beside her. And finally, she slept too. Liza awoke suddenly, her heart pounding. Outside, she could hear the church bell tolling midnight. But it was not the toll of the bell that had wakened her. It was the rumble of heavy wagon wheels passing under her window that had jolted her from her sleep. But where were the wagons going? Their new house was on a dead-end street. Johnny, she hissed, shaking her husband's arm. He mumbled and turned over. Johnny, she tried again. He opened his eyes and said, what's the matter? Can't you hear the wagons, she asked. Johnny came awake immediately. He sat up listening. Then he lay back down and said, it's nothing. Go back to sleep. Nothing. It sounds like a whole wagon train is passing. Liza sat up and moved to get out of bed. Don't, her husband said sharply. Do not ever look out the window when you hear those sounds. Liza turned to look at Johnny. His voice sounded so strange as if he were afraid. Get back in bed, please, Johnny said. Now she was sure. Johnny was frightened. She got back into bed, but lie awake a long time after the sound of the passing wagons had ceased. Liza started her new job at the laundry the next morning. The work was hard, but the other women were nice, and she quickly learned the routine. Within a few days, Liza was feeling comfortable in her new home. During the day, she gossiped with the other women as they washed the clothing. In the evenings, She and Johnny finished unpacking and discussed their new neighbors around the fireplace. But each night, Liza was awakened at midnight by the rumbling of wagons. Sometimes, she thought she heard the sound of voices. They always passed close to their house, heading into the direction of the dead end. But when she walked down to the end of the street in the morning, there were no signs of people or wagons. Liza tried to talk to Johnny about the sounds, but he wouldn't say anything except to tell her to leave well enough alone and to warn her not to look out the window when she heard the sounds. After several weeks, Liza decided to ask Anna, the woman who watched at the tub next to hers, if she had ever heard the rumble of the wagons late at night. Anna drew in a sharp breath when she heard the question and said, what you were hearing is the Army of the Dead. They are Confederate soldiers who died without knowing the war was over. Each night, they rise from their graves and go to reinforce General Lee's troops in Virginia and shore up the Southern forces. When Liza pressed Anna for details, her friend shook her head and would say no more. But she repeated Johnny's warnings to leave well enough alone and not look out the window. That night, Liza lay awake, waiting for the bell to toll midnight. When she heard the first wagon wheels, she checked carefully to make sure Johnny was sleeping, and then she slipped out of the bed. Pushing aside the thick curtain, Liza opened the window to watch the army of the dead. Liza stood spellbound as a gray fog rolled past. Within the fog, she could make out the shapes of horses pulling large, heavily loaded wagons, She could hear gruff human voices and the rumble of cannon being dragged through the street. The wagons were followed by the sound of marching feet. And she saw foot soldiers, horsemen, and ambulances pass before her eyes, all shrouded in gray. After what seemed like hours, Liza heard a far-off buckle blast and then silence. Slowly, the gray fog lifted and the moon came out. Liza shook her head, suddenly aware of how cold and stiff she was. She stepped away from the window, wondering how long she had been watching. She stretched, but her right arm would not respond. She realized in a sudden horror that she could not feel her arm at all. She grabbed her right arm with her left hand and tried to move it. She was not aware of making a sound, but suddenly, Johnny was beside her. Liza gazed up at him mutedly for a moment, trembling, and then managed to say, Johnny, my my arm. Johnny put his arm around her and had taken in the situation at a glance, seeing the open window with the moonlight streaming inside. Oh, love, I am so sorry. I tried to warn you, he said softly. There is a curse laid on anyone who watches the army passing at night. Some people have lost limbs. Some have lost their minds, and some have even lost their lives. The army does not like to be watched. Johnny prodded Liza's arm gently, but she could not feel a thing. Johnny put her arm into a sling, and the next day they saw a doctor who confirmed that her arm was paralyzed. After a month, partial feeling returned to Liza's arm, but she was never able to do a full day's washing again. And she never, again, got up to watch the army of the dead. This is Origin Mysteries. Experience the mysterious. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating and review via iTunes or Apple Podcasts. It really does help us out more than anything. Follow us on all social media platforms at Origin Mysteries. This podcast was written and narrated by me, Cameron Rainey, with a second story being written by S.E. Schlosser. Music by the great Chris Zabriskie. We'll be back in two weeks. Thanks for listening.